Thanks for listening to Musings of an ADD Mind. Let's get some warnings out of the way. This episode may contain strong language, and the views and opinions expressed by the guest and host in no way, shape, or form represent the Oklahoma Historical Society or the state of Oklahoma. Welcome to the Musings of an ADD Mind podcast. This is your host, Jack, and I have the ADD Mind. Once again, we're doing our summer series on the most important topics in the world, sci-fi and pop culture. And today I have uh, the Musings of an ADD Mind official archaeologist on, Christina Wyckoff. But we're not going to talk about archaeology today. We're going to talk about Dune and Foundation, mix of both the books and movies slash TV shows. So, Christina, how are you doing today? I'm doing great, Jack. It's really wonderful to be back. I'm glad to be the official archaeologist of this podcast. Well, you know, every podcast should have an official archaeologist. Um, That's just my views. And I could think of no one better to be our official archaeologist than than you. I'm glad to be the archaeologist in your orbit. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you know, you're you're a lot nicer than the other another archaeologist I used to work with, but we'll keep that to ourselves. (laughs) 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 But anyway, um, archaeology banter aside. Um, you're coming on, talk about a couple of, uh, book series that I'm assuming are probably in your top 10. I'm not going to say your absolute favorite and, uh, Dune has been adapted twice into a movie and once into a mini series on sci-fi, I believe around 2000 and then foundation, which this past year was made into a TV show on Apple Plus. Is it Apple Plus? Whatever the Apple's Yes, are. that's the one. Yeah. And I'll say um, I, I love both of these series. Well, I love Dune books one through three. And then I started Dune, the fourth book, um, God Emperor of Dune. And that one uh, didn't do it for me. So I actually, I actually didn't read any more of the series. I'm sure there are folks who are expert in that whole um in the series and the mythology of it um but i i'm just here with my opinions not going to pretend that i'm an expert but i do love to share my opinions so i'm happy to do that here (laughs) okay all right all right now the fourth book is where um his son started writing is that correct am i right on no no No? uh he was still writing that one so the first one is Hopefully I'll get these all right. The first one is Dune and mm-hmm. then Dune Messiah and then Children of Dune and then God Emperor of Dune. And God Emperor of Dune, just the writing, the style, even though it's Frank Herbert, um, it changed kind of radically. And Duncan Idaho was, his character just started doing things that to me seemed totally bizarre. And I just, um, I was disinterested and I, read something else I don't remember what actually <laughs> I do I read 1984 at that point that was the first time I'd read that but um <clears throat> but yeah I just actually I left my copy of Dune Messiah at a um at a like uh 
complex where we were staying in Chihuahua, Mexico, when I was excavating at Casas Grandes. And I was like, maybe somebody else can get something out of this. (laughs) (laughs) Well, um, I guess if you want, um, I, I would say that when did Dune first come out? When was it published? Was it 70s, late 60s? What? Can we look it up? Because I don't want to make that up and I don't have my copy here. I actually lent all three of my copies to a friend um, yeah, well, who don't have them at well, hand. Th- that really doesn't matter. I was just going to say, I'm going to, that spoilers at this time, we, we don't, I would say not have to worry about. Cause... Okay, great. Please <laughs> don't listen to this if you don't want to be spoiled on these series. <laughs> on, uh, either it have been out for years. Which, have been out for yes for decades um yeah so the foundation copy that i have was copyrighted in 1951 that's the first the first uh um time it was copyrighted but um yeah so you probably aren't going to be spoiled on that one either i was i was trying to like do some homework ahead of this podcast and um i was looking at some folks who had compared Dune as a series and Foundation as a series, and um, well, I I didn't read them looking for this. Uh, I feel like they they had some interesting ideas about religion um, and okay. science as religion, and um, in sort of in Asimov's Foundation series, at least early on well, throughout. Um, You've got this great character, Harry Seldon, who I wish we had a Harry Seldon today, um, who is able to use this uh, the science of psychomathematics, something to that effect, to predict the future um, extremely accurately, but only based on sort of the science of the mob. So the science of uh, the st- like statistics basically and so he's able to determine the collapse of the collapse of the galactic empire and that it's going to take 10,000 years for humanity to recover the knowledge and technology that will have been lost on the day essentially of the world well when the decline occurs and so he develops this foundation um, mm-hmm. basically to it's Wikipedia for the galaxy, basically. Re- we'll retain all of the important knowledge so that it'll be there for everybody to rebuild and they can rebuild faster. So you've got scientists, basically, who are going to save humanity or lessen the pain of humanity. And then in Dune, um, in Dune, you have the... I, I read the series before I watched any of, the, any of the films, so I always struggle with how you pronounce them. But I guess Bene Gesserit, the the organization of women who are using s- science effectively science i mean they're they they have this genetic um they're manipulating genetics in order to control the future or in order to control humanity throughout time right they're okay. controlling the genetics of uh you know who breeds with whom and what your result is and their ultimate goal is can you pronounce what Paul is? Do you remember? <laughs> I don't have the book in front of me. It's like the um, 
Well, it's Haderek. I can't remember how you say it. KW, do you know what I'm talking about? Um, I think so. Because honestly, it's been a while since I, I didn't watch the last movie that came out. I've been busy. <laughs> but he's, so, the, he's the end goal of their, of their work. But, oh, so um, he's like the perfect, uh, sort of like the, the perfect person, I guess. Yeah, so he's he's the result of their efforts, their efforts to for control. And whereas in foundation, science is what's saving humanity, science and controlling controlling the well, being able to predict and control certain events in order to um, in order to lessen humanity's pain. It's, that's that's where their science is very good in that one but in right. uh well the, the sort of religion of science is very good there and then whereas in dune like the religion of science um the science religion i guess is as as embodied by the bene Gesserit is not like not the great thing right because even though they 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 get to paul his rejection of their ideals is, is what is, he's the heroic figure in rejecting that mm-hmm. and fighting okay. for the people, the freemen and the um, whatever, doing what doing, he does what's right rather than what he's been engineered to do. Right. Paul's kind of a Messiah char- type character. A, yeah, correct. Exactly. Yes. And, and in the Dune series, you have a character who rejects the, who, who can't be predicted, uh, the mule. And that character uh, causes havoc that has to be saved by the second foundation. The second foundation has to fight against this aberration in order to restore order. So in foundation, the, um, in foundation, they're fighting the, the science is what is the bring us to the ultimate end goal and is and is the right way whereas in dune um the aberration rescues us from this scientific trajectory does that make sense i i believe so it i'm i'm not saying that this is that this is 100 percent right. right i'm just saying that i thought this was an interesting argument that i was reading right but there's right. also in addition, in addition to the Bene Gesserit in Dune, you also have um, you also have ecology, uh, like the science of ecology and um, the effects that the rulers have had on, especially when you think about the the people who survive on Arrakis, the the work that they have to do, the way that they have to live in order to survive on this planet that's been destroyed effectively by the spice mining production. Right. Uh huh. Oh yeah. Anyway, whatever. <laughs> well, yeah, and the, that's the uh, the giant uh, or the planet with the uh, with the giant worms, correct? That is right. Okay. The worms. Yeah, yeah. Yes, the worms are definitely related to the spice, the the resource that um, the wealthy folks of the galaxy, universe, whatever, are trying right. to extrapolate uh, to the which does is doing harm of course to the the people of that world right so on your on your first thought is it being sort of like the difference on how science is treated so in the world of foundation 
science is kind of treated like, say, scientists who are working on a cure for cancer or AIDS or whatever. And the end goal is like sort of more of a pure thing, help everybody. This is how we survive. Versus in Dune, the scientists are more sort of Nazi eugenist. Is that sort of a good comparison? I, yeah, well, I mean, I don't, but I don't know if it's, I feel like that's, as I was describing it, I feel like I was, I was making it too much that way. Oh, okay. I think that, <laughs> I think that Frank, I think that Frank Herbert, uh, his position is uh, in response, maybe in response to Asimov's, where all of the scientists are good and all of the work that they're doing is good. Whereas it's more nuanced when you're looking at Frank Herbert, you have okay. the opportunity to do great good or great evil with right, right. with science. So, um, so I think that you have scientists, and well, you have sort of the idea of science as religion almost um, on both sides in okay. the Dune series. Whereas in Foundation, it's like all good and um, with no. The only evil comes in what science can't predict. Okay. All right. All right. Cool. Cool. So do we want to talk about how well, they're represented in film? Um, well, yeah, I was going to get to that. I was going to ask which you wanted the, if you could maybe give a brief, just like a brief summary of say Dune, and then we can talk about uh, the various uh, movie ad- adaptations. Cause that way sort of as, we talk about the adaptations. Maybe people that are unfamiliar with it, like me, will have a a slight bit of knowledge, so it will make more sense when you're talking about the movies. Okay, so Dune follows most closely uh, the character of Paul Atreides. Oh, my pronunciations are all based on my reading, and uh, so they may not match. They may not match yours or the film. <laughs> right. Um, but follows this character of a boy who is, as it turns out, the um, his mother is uh, one of the Bene Gesserit uh, witches, um, and his father is the Duke. Right. Uh, mm-hmm. like he's an important. He's an important man on an on a planet, and they are moved to control to be the leaders on the planet of Arrakis. And this whole thing is set in a a universe where control of this particular resource is important and being fought over. And there's a lot of political machinations um, that are occurring. But it follows Paul, who is this son, who as it starts out, seems like a relatively um, vulnerable character, who's in a position, thrust into a position of, power and is expected to fail but also happens to have been an engineered individual by this Bene Gesserit order to um to fulfill their ultimate goal okay <laughs> but but there's another element in see this, this is a problem we should have just read a summary um <laughs> there's another element in that his mother was not she was not she did not follow the what the Bene Gesserit had wished for her to do. She was supposed to have a daughter, and instead she has a son. And by having a son, she has a result. They, the result is that Paul, uh, right. the the being that he is, is born a generation early. 
So rather than coming when the Bene Gesserit had wished for him to come, because of the actions of his mother, he's born early. And then he um, uh, has, a, has a, then all of a sudden he has the opportunity to make these incredible changes in, in the world of Arrakis and, uh, and in the galaxy, I guess. Okay. All right. So now that we've established sort of uh, a brief summary here, I'm assuming that obviously there are people that are going against uh, sort of Paul Atreides. I'm assuming since he's the main character, he's probably the good guy, which you said, because he's kind of the Messiah character. So who are they kind of going up against? Is, Is it that the spice is so important for the galaxy that everyone wants control of it? Everybody wants control of the spice. It controls space travel. It's used for space travel. Let's see. Let's see if we can just give you a legitimate um, summary of this. So by spice, we're not talking pepper or garlic powder. That's right. It's basically a drug um, that extends life and enhances mental abilities. It has a name, but um, I... Melange? But anyway, it's, um, but they use it. So it's, so it's bizarre in that the drug is used by the, um, by the navigators who travel through space. And so they have to be high on this drug in order to accurately navigate space. So you can't complete space travel without it, basically. Okay. So yeah, it's slightly important for a spacefaring race. Kind of like, yeah, fossil fuel, essentially. (laughs) <laughs> with, right, right. With a uh, uh, yeah, a, a mind-altering substance um, aspect to it. Okay. All right. So, adaptations. We have. You can see why this would be hard to, to make adapt. into. Yeah, exactly. It's complicated, and um, and it's really brilliantly presented in the book, in my opinion, at least in the first one, um, and compelling. But then when you when you try to present it in film, it, I mean, the result of the what was not there in the in the 70s or 84, right? 84 yeah, I think it was David 1984 that the David Lynch version came out. Yeah. Yes. And uh, I mean, they made it weird that they succeeded in in the weirdness aspect of it. I appreciated that. And it was the 80s. Right. I mean, I was two so maybe i just don't have a fair um uh sort of like maybe at my view of film at that time is not fair <laughs> but <laughs> but it was it just didn't convey any of the things that i loved about paul paul's character um the struggle that he was going through um the um the vastness of the of the universe and uh, it, it was just it i liked it less after having seen having seen that film which i didn't i didn't see until like the 2000s it's not like okay. i'd seen it as a kid i yeah. didn't ever see the mini series um i've heard mixed things about it i think that it's lovely to get to see a film adaptation of something that you care about, right? Of a right. film. But depending on sort of how invested you were in it when you read the book, it 
it can present an additional challenge to the filmmaker. Like maybe you've got this huge, this, uh, this, uh, this, um, this story that's taken on an incredible importance in the minds of lots and lots of people. And that importance may be nuanced and you have to make one version of it to present to this audience and you're never going to do everything right. 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 Yeah. Correct. Correct. Yeah. But go ahead. Oh, I was going to say Dune in a way is almost sort of, you almost have to do it like they did Lord of the Rings when they filmed that, when, you know, they did all of it at once. So yeah, it was a brutal two-year filming schedule, but I feel like Dune, you almost have to do that with just the first book because doing just sort of one thing, you have to have an endpoint if you don't know there's going to be a sequel to it. But if you go and film like all three, you can go into more depth and detail, have the book spread out over three movies instead of one. And I think that helps. Because <laughs> um, you're going in I, with the complete story, not a complete story. And then, oh, yeah, we've got a complete story, part two and three. I don't know if I'm making sense or not. but No, you are. And, and uh, you said you had not yet watched the movie, the film version of Dune. I have not watched the new one. I watched the original one because unlike you, when it came out, I was not two. I was <laughs> older. <laughs> I was 14. <laughs> but um, what did you think of it? What did you think of that film? I thought it was weird. Yeah. And at times it was kind of hard to follow. Yeah. Yeah. Because it's a complicated story. Yeah, and there was like these weird sort of cuts. And there was that fat dude in the floating chair that had all the stuff on his faces. And that was weird. But it was really cool because Sting was in it. And then it also introduced us to uh, Captain Picard, Patrick Stewart. Right, of course. In America. Yes. And, you know, maybe we don't have Patrick Stewart playing Captain Picard and then Professor X and sort of being these... Because really, those are two kind of iconic characters in pop culture that he's played. And had he not been in Dune, maybe we wouldn't have had that. Because until then, he was just a stage actor. So that was good. But a lot of the rest of it, I'm just sort of watching, thinking that was odd. I don't know. Were you meant to watch the first one on acid or something? I, I <laughs> Maybe that would have helped. Um, yeah, I, I agree. I didn't. I I thought it was very strange also and and that made it I don't I mean it, it science fiction is supposed to be strange right but it's also uh, relatable it yeah I mean the overall ideas of it are relevant to us right I mean and right. and they were in the film too it's just they felt so I do it's it seemed like that the film made an effort to just be bizarre instead of uh instead of to focus on the other so the new version i would just really encourage you to watch i do not feel like they went to i mean they they broke the first book in half and they yeah they didn't do they didn't i mean the the end you know that you have to watch the next one it's not over right right (laughs) but it was so compelling they did such a great job with the with the world that they presented to you, they didn't, they didn't feel like they had to, it's like, you didn't feel like you were getting a lecture on how Mm -hmm. this universe worked 
but you could sort of intuit it. Um, my my husband did, has not uh, read the novel, but he also loved the the, the film. The characters okay. were great. They were well presented. They were compelling. The way the sort of um, the the way the kind of magic of the Bene Gesserit is, is mm-hmm. shown is is great. Um, like every everything about it was wonderful. I was like, this is exactly what Dune should always should always have been. So anyway, I I'd encourage you. I really encourage you to watch it. I think it's uh, wonderful. It it's on my list of things to watch, and I'm trying to arrange my schedule with normal work and podcasting and life to where I have the month of August off. And I plan on catching Excellent. up on a lot of, a lot of things that have come out within the last year that I've fallen behind on in Dune is definitely on the list of things uh, that I plan on watching then. So, you know, I, that's, that's good, I suppose. <laughs> yeah, um, absolutely. It's nice to, plan for a for a break that might uh give you that opportunity yeah um sort of getting back on our topic though great sci-fi is able to take uh something in this world that's maybe not good or whatever and you can package it in a way where people don't necessarily realize that that's sort of what it's talking about sort of like uh, when the x-men first came out in the sixties, it was really kind of about how stupid racism is with mutants sort of being a stand-in for uh, African-Americans. And then in the eighties, X-Men, a lot of LGBTQ sort of identified with that, uh, with the X-Men as well, because why do people hate us just for this, you know, this one thing? but you don't necessarily realize that that's sort of what's going on. And good sci-fi is able to do that. And it almost sounds in a way like Dune is science is great, but you still need to be cautious when dealing with it because things can go terribly astray. Are your thoughts though sort of on that good science fiction can take a sort of problem that's happening at that time, disguise it, but get people to think about, Oh, that's interesting. That's kind of like this. Absolutely. Um, or or a problem that's always existed, right? Something about human nature that and you're and you're presenting it and you're packaging it in um in, in a story that has all of this crazy technology that we don't have in our present world or whatever, but you still have this ultimate issue, right? Right, right. Yeah. Um, yeah. It sounds like in a way Dune is you need to monitor science so it doesn't go nuts. At the same time, you need to, I guess there's also kind of like an environmental environmental message as well in there. And I guess also people having absolute power. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And say so giant worm racing would be fun. So Dune, Dune was written in 19 or published in 1965. Mm-hmm. So when you think about it, <laughs> I guess that's that's about right for when people were thinking about climate catastrophes. And yet somehow we've managed to sit around and do very little for uh, a long, long time. 
Yeah, it it's kind of strange because we've done so many good things, but we ignore so much other things. <laughs> you know that would be be good. I've actually heard people go on five minute rants about how the uh, giant Pacific trash garbage patch doesn't exist, and I'm like, I've seen actual footage of it. It it's there. <laughs> But, you know, we've also done measures, at least in the U.S., to make aerosols not so bad for the air. So anyway. uh, (laughs) We have, but then I was reading about plastic recently and how plastic recycling is basically a giant fraud because of how many different plastics exist and how because of the different chemicals in each of those different plastics and each of the different colors of each of those different plastics in order to actually recycle them you have to um, you have to separate them to such a degree that's very challenging to do and then when you um, melt them down or whatever you're still releasing dangerous chemicals and so um, uh, yeah but but um, but we still do it. I mean, when you go to the grocery store and try to find a yogurt container that's in a, even just one of the plastics that you can supposedly recycle in my neighborhood, you can't. All of the yogurt containers are number five plastic. Yeah. Just, yeah. Um, they're everywhere. It's really strange where I live recycling. They, you're not allowed to recycle glass anymore, which of all the things you can recycle, you would think that glass would be the easiest one. Yeah, glass and cardboard and paper like those, we can actually recycle those. So why? So why can't we do it locally? We can't either. We have uh, some recycling facility. Well, some like pickup locations where you can cart your glass and your, you can cart your glass and your tin there. Right. But um, Who but wants the to do that? curbside, yeah, curbside pickup. Well, I mean, we collect it in a big box downstairs and then take <laughs> it out. But um. But yeah, yeah, there are you. It's interesting because um, I was just thinking of of science fiction and how and how prophetic sometimes it seems. But it's like, well, it's it's not really so prophetic, right? I mean, this is people recognizing issues in their lives at the time they were writing and packaging them in a creative way. Right. They knew this stuff all the way back when they were writing. I mean, 1965, the published date for the first Dune, and then 1951 um, for Foundation. For Foundation. These these are not new. They're not new problems. And the fact that you can present them today in this way, like we've just, we as a society, I guess, or maybe even, you know, like worldwide, we have avoided some of these problems for a long time to the point where they make really great cataclysmic films seem like very, um, uh, very current. Right. (laughs) Right. Yeah. Yeah. No, no, you're right. Um, Well, kind of getting back on track. (laughs) Not that this was way off the rails because it does tie into the sci-fi aspect. Um, Foundation. I, know from talking with you that you have some issues with the apple plus version of foundation i do yes what are those uh sort of issues with the tv adaptation 
from the book that I guess are the most irritating for you? Yeah, well, it started out, I'll say it started out really great because um, I, you know, in a handful of years ago, I remember complaining to somebody like, why doesn't anybody make film a version of foundation? Seems like you could do, you know, there are lots, there's a lot of material. (laughs) I wrote a lot uh, in that series and they're great characters and it feels relevant to today. Like, like I was saying, how great to have somebody who predicted that all of this terrible stuff that we're in the middle of right now will come to a, an obvious um, f- fracture point with a result in the positive. That's very, very comforting to think about. But right. um, but anyway, so I, I had hoped that somebody would would make foundation and everybody always told me, oh, it's too complicated. It's just too hard, right? There's, It's not compelling TV because the whole idea is uh, basically a math and history textbook uh, reproduced. Right, <laughs> right. So like, and, um, and so anyway, uh, it starts out great. They take one of the main, I mean, foundation is mostly uh, white men uh, solving these various problems or, or living, experiencing these various uh, um, traction points and then coming to resolution. But um, the, the foundation series replaces um, one character, like Gaul, with, um, with a, a black woman. And she's a, a mathematician and she's brilliant and she's taken from this planet where she lives uh, and she comes to work for Harry Seldon on the foundation um, just like just like the character in the book but uh, we changed the you know we add diversity to the story we frankly we make it more compelling she's a much more compa- compelling character I feel like as okay. as portrayed than um, than the character in the in the book who's really I mean he's just he's um, He's just filling this this role of any anybody could be in this position. It's like that's the way foundation works. The individual isn't the important critical part. It's okay. that somebody will naturally do this. It's guaranteed by psychohistory that a, an individual in this mob will take these actions and have this result. Anyway, so the change of her the um, casting was really good I felt like okay but and and I feel like they tried really hard and they did a pretty effective job of showing us this world and how it's weird but um people people live in it like people live in our world today they one of the things that I didn't feel like um I feel like they they tried too hard they got bogged down in the um the leaders, the, the the emperors, the three emperors, day and uh, uh, dawn, day and dusk is right. the way they presented it, which is, it's different than it was in the book. They made some changes um, that I don't feel like helped, um, honestly. And okay. I don't feel like, I don't feel like dwelling on those characters was that important, but they also sort of made all of the heroes into kind of like cookie cutter, typical um, sci-fi or action movie heroes, 
Whereas in the book series, um, the, the characters are varied. Like one of them who's also in the film, in the TV show portrayed by a black woman who, who does a great job in the role, but I just feel like the writing was not what it needed to be. Um, instead of sort of being a great diplomat who's brilliant in the way she um, sort of, the, it's like a game of chess, right? Instead of playing chess, she's she's another warrior, which is great. I love seeing female warriors. I do, but I feel like um, there, something was lost there. And I was <laughs> I was trying to explain what I felt like was lost um, to somebody else, and I told them, you know, it it it, do, it didn't feel enough like it didn't feel enough like a, a, a history textbook or a math textbook. <laughs> Like that's that's not very compelling. I can see why they wouldn't why they wouldn't go that way. But Foundation series did feel like what made it compelling is that it feels it feels believable. It feels like believable as a philosophy. Like and um and the and the TV show just kind of feels like any other blockbuster show. Okay, that sounds like a you know perfectly. I I get where you're coming from. If yeah, in fairness, I, get that. I did kind of give up. I, I stopped watching after episode seven, somewhere in there, but I am going to go back and finish it. So I may have to amend my statements after I've seen the whole thing. <laughs> I feel like I owe it that much. And and they, I, I am glad, I'm glad that they made an effort. You no, know, I do feel like it's such a cool story. And even if, even if um, I feel like it was a letdown, um, it probably will encourage more people who maybe didn't read the series to read it. Right. So that could be good too. Yeah. Cause like, uh, not that it was ever not popular, but after the Lord of the ring movies came out, the books all of a sudden were back in top tens and sales. Right. So I, I still, <laughs> I remember, um, Serena McKellen was on, uh, John Stewart's show after, um, after the fellowship of the ring and john stewart asked him like well how does it feel to get killed off in the first film and he was like well gandalf's not dead <laughs> john stewart said like you're spoiling it he was like novels have been around since the 50s <laughs> not yeah. spoiling it surely everybody knows what happened the 50 but, yeah. year old book <laughs> yeah but i suppose that that doesn't mean everybody's read it right that is true that is true they should have beeped over his response <laughs> <laughs> no i do think that um i think it's important and great to remake classic stories for newer audiences at one point i thought you know that that was like a degradation of those stories in some way but i acknowledge now that there's there's something to be said for writing a story in the like during the time like there are things that work their way in to the writing and to the background that can make a story feel very archaic if you're right. watching an old version um, treatment of women the existence of women <laughs> or of minorities or of other you know like yeah. um, there are plenty of of old versions of films that are being adapted that really 
they are true to the spirit, um, but they are more compelling for a modern audience. And so anyway, I think it's great that when people, uh, I think it's great that they adapted Foundation. I'm just right. disappointed at this point with <laughs> what I've seen. I don't know if Foundation was picked up for a second season or not. I Apple is the streaming service that I pay the least amount of, t- of attention to. Uh, for some reason, I don't know why. <laughs> but um, I'm going to see if I can find out. But also, when you think about certain things, too, another sort of difficulty is that the pacing in the way sort of storytelling in the 50s and 60s is different than the pacing and the way they frame the story in modern times for modern audiences. And so sometimes if you adapt something from the fifties, a lot of people in the modern audience think that it just moves too slow. Uh, yeah. The story. Our attention spans maybe. <laughs> right. Whereas like in a, in a modern movie, movie opens, thing happens immediately. How do we stop the thing? Then they stop the thing. Whereas, and it's like that a lot of times in modern books as well, but in the past it was, there might be 10 minutes of stuff before the big thing happens, you know, in an older movie or cause it's building this, there's some, I don't know if I'm explaining it right, but there was a little more than it immediately starts with the major thing happening. And I think sometimes modern audiences get bored with that. <laughs> I, I think you're right. Like their um, uh, focus can be on setting the stage, making sure that we have certain ideas about this character or that character or the world in which they live. And now we're like, just show me what's happening. Right. Like yeah, yeah. don't, don't do all this table setting. I mean, I remember thinking about that in plenty of the game of Thrones episodes, but I'm like, Oh, why did they, <laughs> why was this episode so slow? I just, you know, you recognize that you're moving characters across the um, the landscape to get them into place for the next uh, terrible, you know, thing. <laughs> but but uh, yeah, some pacing, I agree, can be a real challenge. Yeah, and in Game of Thrones, the thing that has always struck me in, well, both Westeros and Easteros, is the population of... I don't know if there were any other continents, but the population of those two were at least at a bare minimum cut in half. You know, just when you have those, that many battles and that many people dying and, you know, let's not even talk about the dragon aspect of it. That is a just the numbers of people that were gone after that had to have been just massive. It's probably a yeah. great time for real estate purchasing. Uh, probably probably not right probably your homes would be really cheap (laughs) well yeah that's what i'm saying as an investor i think the buyer's market (laughs) yeah maybe not a seller's market but (laughs) yeah Yeah, Yeah, anyway but yeah no it's that sort of i think sometimes makes a difference as well and i guess it was probably late 90s 2000 that some of that sort of changed uh, storytelling wise? Maybe so. I wonder, um, I'd be really, can you think of some examples from the nineties? I'm trying to think of 
action films. Well, I mean, well, I think of Speed, right? Yeah. That was a, that, was a, that more fits the, the newer, um, I don't know. I haven't seen it in a long time. I well, no, like, it does. There's like three minutes of Sandra Bullock getting on the bus and then the thing starts. Maybe, maybe speed is kind of like, a, like a weird one though, right? Because it's like yeah. a rom com and an action film. No, maybe that's not fair. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, <laughs> just and then like True Lies sort of starts out because they have you know they introduce the Schwarzenegger character on what he really is. Yeah. And, but maybe that one's sort of sort of different. Yeah, yeah. I don't yeah, know. I you, just things are yeah, different. Now. I like it if you think about True Lies and then you think of Mr. and Mrs. Smith, right? Right. There is you can see the increase in the action, and then I, I mean, I'm basing this on memories and not on hard data right in front of me, but I wouldn't be surprised if the action occurs earlier and then it just escalates, right? Right. Like, anyway, and I don't yeah. remember Mr. and Mrs. Smith is <laughs> like in twenty what. I mean, that was after, after True Lies. Well, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, <laughs> but anymore, yeah. I mean, like, films are, yeah, it's, it's a lot. Yeah, naturally, of course, as we're talking about it, my, my ADD, ADHD riddled mind is like, oh, yeah, you need to access that part of your brain? Yeah, not going to happen. Because <laughs> my brain isn't arranged in like, a series of filing cabinets that when I need to recall something, I can go, that is in filing cabinet 454 and go and access that. My brain organizes memories as if you were to morph the, the board of shoots and ladders and Candyland uh, and throw in just a little bit of connect four. And that's how my brain stores data. So sometimes when I need it, it can be hard to find it in, in this old noggin of mine. <laughs> but anyway, so yeah, that's why I can't think of anything right now because I actually want to. So <laughs> anyway, um, well, I is there any just sort of real quick, I guess, while I have you here, for me, sort of a perfect example, though, of how storytelling is different now and in the past is the series The Boys. You could not have, A, written that story or had it made into a show in 1970 if, you know, the technology to have everybody fly and all of that stuff was real. Um, but to me, The Boys is kind of a good example of that because... First of all, that's probably how, if there were superheroes in the world, it would actually be, there wouldn't be somebody doing it. They'd have corporate sponsors. <laughs> it, so and it's, I'm it's, actually not familiar with this series. You so haven't watched The Boys? I haven't. You, you should. I'll watch Dune. You watch The Boys. Okay, fair. Because basically, without giving too much away, because this one is still new enough that it would be spoilery. Basically it's a world where superheroes exist, but they work for a corporation. So this corporation makes sure that they have, you know, housing and food and they get a salary. And not only are they superheroes, but this corporation makes movies with these superheroes in it. So they're superheroes in real life. And then they're also fictional superheroes in these movies. 
but pretty much everything they do is controlled by this corporation. But outside of being superheroes and that, all of these people are basically just horrible, terrible assholes <laughs> that do horrible, terrible stuff. In it's kind of a commentary on some of, of the Me Too movement in a way, you know, where a lot of people think one actor is great because they have this persona and then all of a sudden you find out that oh hey this person's not great he's actually assaulted 49 people right and interesting and so there there's sort of that in there because that's just how i think it would actually be you might have people that were superheroes but they would probably be gigantic assholes in the real world and if you had superpowers and you were basically a god amongst mortals you probably would tend to do that. <laughs> I could see how that might have an effect on, yes, your ego. Just a small one. If, That's, if you're, so, you're nailing, yeah, go ahead. Go ahead. No, I was going to say, um, thinking about that and thinking about this show and Me Too and what you'd said earlier about um, how science fiction can sort of talk, or, you know tell stories that are relevant to issues that we're facing. Mm -hmm. I was thinking of the other TV show severance. And that, I think that one's also on Apple plus. So you may not be familiar with it, but the concept there is that there's a corporation that um, has discovered a way to sever your brain so that at work, you will only have access to memories that occur while you're at work. And at home, you will not have access to any memories that occur at work uh, so that, one, your work can be secret, I guess. And two, there's this idea of like work-life balance that seems to be really um, uh, distorted in a very negative way. It's a, it's a horror series, but I feel like it's also science fiction um, in this, uh, in the you know the technology to manipulate the brain, etc. Mm-hmm. Um, really, really compelling show. Well, and well done also. So I don't know if you're if you are using Apple Plus at all, but um, I would recommend it. Okay, I will. I will see if I can fit that into my <laughs> my August marathon of laziness of just or watching someday TV. in the distant future, you know. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, wow, we've uh, we've been at it for just almost an hour now. It's amazing how talking about the important things in life, uh, time flies. Absolutely. Um, well, is there any other sort of honorable mention type science fiction TV show, movie, book that you think uh, would be? interesting for people to check out i know i just threw this at you because well i just thought of it but um. yeah, no that's fair um so i i clara and the sun by uh i i'm definitely not going to pronounce this name correctly kazuo ishiguro but clara and the sun clara k-l-a-r-a it's the story from the perspective of an artificial intelligence doll almost like a life-size doll whose um the these dolls are created to be companions to children 
And it's just a beautiful story, really compelling and, um, and wonderful, brilliant science fiction and, uh, and really lovely um, writing. I definitely recommend that one. Okay. Um, not science fiction, really fantasy instead, but I am reading and just like, I can't say enough positive stuff about Rebecca Roanhorse's um, series. She's writing. I'm not sure what the series is called, but it starts out with black sun. And the second book is the one I'm midway through now. It's called fevered star. Her writing okay. is amazing. Um, it's a, it's a fantasy series, but it's set in a, in an um, ancient um, Americas. And so rather than, you know, being the typical kind of trite um, castles and uh, feuding empires or feuding regions in the, uh, in like an imagined ancient um, um, Europe, you know, like old Europe, Right. This is set in in the Americas, and it's brilliant and really, really wonderful. So I definitely encourage anybody to read that. Okay. Um, I guess I'll throw out an honorable mention as well. And I'm going to give sort of, I guess, a slight caveat. The author personally has some beliefs that I don't agree with at all. And I know sometimes people don't like to give people that sort of have beliefs like that uh, money by purchasing their stuff. However, since it's a book, you can go to the library or a used bookstore and that person doesn't receive money that way. <laughs> but the series is Orson Scott Card's Homebound series. He's most famous for the Ender series and the Ender Shadow series, but the Earthbound series is a series of five books and it is really good. It's also kind of that cross between fantasy sci-fi with some religion thrown into it. And uh, it basically modern day earth, because we haven't taken care of it, pollution and everything earth is collapsing. So what happens is they've discovered all of these planets that would be uh, habitable and people live, leave to go to these planets, but, it's it's weird how it works. So it's not just like Russia goes and has Russia planet. England goes and has England planet. But at the same time, religions go and have planets that are just their religion as well. So there's like the Southern Baptist planet. That sounds like a boring planet. And then there's the Mormon planet. And that's the planet that this one takes place on probably because Orson Scott Card is a Mormon. And so there are all of these worlds, but they're all so far apart that over time they lose communication with each other because each world sort of has this giant satellite that kind of helps control things. I'm trying to explain it without being too spoilery. And so basically they discover, hey, we can go back to Earth because at this point it's been like a million years or something like that. So the earth is now clean from all of the damage that we did to it. And it's sort of the story of how they discover this, their journey to get to this place that will then take them to earth, getting to earth. And then like the first sort of 
40 years there on earth. And then the fifth book takes place way later and it's how things have changed and all of that stuff. But it's, it's a really interesting concept and it, it's It is written really well. Orson Scott card is a, is a really good author. Um, So I would recommend reading that. I haven't read it in probably 20 years, so I'm not sure how it stands up to modern time, but it's definitely, it's a good series. So go rent it from the library, (laughs) rent it from the library, borrow it from the library. We don't rent from libraries. (laughs) Yeah. You were telling me about that one and I'm curious. I'm interested in, in reading that sounds, it definitely sounds interesting. Yeah. It, like I say, it's it's kind of a unique concept and it's really good. But I guess Ender's Game is also a unique concept. But I feel like Ender's Game was an excellent novel, also. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I I love Ender's Game and that poor kid at the end. <laughs> Talk yes. about needing. I guess it th- explains why the next novel was so bad in the beginning that I stopped reading it. <laughs> right. Right. Yeah. No. <laughs> I did not see the sequel going the way the sequel went. That is for sure. <laughs> he, he definitely took that in a different direction <laughs> than, than was expected. Um, but honestly, I think all you really need to do is read Ender's Game and then the first book in the Ender's Shadow series. And I think you've probably got most of what the best part of the Ender verse in my opinion. I enjoyed those two very much. (laughs) Yeah. Those are definitely the best of all of them. So anyway, look at, look at us just talking about science fiction and stuff because we don't ever do that at work because we're always working. It always leaves me realizing that I have a lot more to learn about this stuff. And, (laughs) you know, if, if I didn't work, um, for a living, I could spend a lot more time reading and speculating about these novels. Yeah, I every morning I wake up and I check my bank account, and it still has the exact zero amount of money it had the night when I went before when I went to bed. So I guess I'll I'll keep going to work since I keep not waking up rich. Yeah, it's an it's an unfortunate situation. I also find myself in. Yeah, it really stinks. Maybe maybe this podcasting thing will take off for me and I can have more money than I currently do. <laughs> I believe in you. <laughs> well, thank you. Thank you. That makes one of us. Uh, no. <laughs> now, so anyway, I, I feel that we've had a pretty good talk. Um, I think we've sort of covered your feelings on both of them. Is there anything else you wanted to throw out about foundation or dune before we sign off no i would recommend that everybody read them and i definitely recommend that everybody watch the dune film i'm looking forward to the second part of it i have great faith that it's going to be fantastic okay all right awesome well i appreciate you taking time out of your day to come on the show it it's been fun uh, talking about this stuff and Um, I guess I'm going to go ahead and sign off. So thank you for coming on. I really appreciate it. Thanks, Jack. It's always fun to chat with you. (laughs) Well, I'm glad you feel that way. Thank you. (laughs) Anyway, folks, 
with that, I'm going to sign off and remember everybody, try to live your life in a way that would make Bob Ross proud. Bye. Thank you for listening to Musings of an ADD Mind. If you enjoyed this podcast, or even if you didn't, please hit the subscribe or follow button. This podcast is a production of Hyper Focused Media.